Hello and welcome to the Revision Path Podcast, a showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. I'm Maurice Cherry, and before I get into this week's interview, I wanted to remind you about three things. First, we are giving away an iPad mini and an Apple TV in our 25 interviews giveaway. Just visit revisionpath.com forward slash giveaway to enter. The giveaway ends on October 31st. Second, our friends at Go Media have a new book titled Drawn to Business, and it gives you the nuts and bolts information that you need to create your own design firm. The 382-page PDF ebook version is regularly $37, but thanks to Go Media, they're selling it for just $17 for the Revision Path audience. You can visit our website for more details. That deal will end on October 30th. Third, the good folks over at 900 DPI have free beta invites for us for their software, which is a headache-free CMS that works with Dropbox and CSS. Visit our website for more details on that as well. Okay, now on to this week's interview. I talked with Khalil Bay, a software engineer for the Big G, Google. Here we go. All right, so tell us who you are and what you do. Uh, so my name is Khalil Bay, and uh, I'm a software engineer at Google. Nice, and you've been at Google now for for quite a while. You've been there, what, since? The early 2000s, right? At uh, 2004 is when I joined. 2004, so almost 10 years. How is it like uh, working there? I know there's all these tales of, of working for the big G. What's it like? Well, for me, it's kind of interesting because uh, that, that experience has uh, changed quite a bit over the years. Uh, when I joined, uh, it was just before the IPO. The company was like maybe 1,200 people, and it was kind of a crazy hot mess of stuff. Like, you know, there were... There were nice perks. Um, office chairs were really not on the list, though. Um, the massage chairs were, uh, but there was just like a lot. I mean, there was a lot to there was a lot to get done, and people were kind of going around, going around all over the place trying to make stuff happen because it always felt like there was you know too much work and not enough people. That's, mm-hmm. That that part probably hasn't changed much, but there I guess there are more people now. Um, and you know, like the IPO brought in you know more people. Um, there's a stock price to look at once in a while. Uh, and I, you know, I, I, I think probably the biggest change. I mean, on top of just the fact that like there are you know um, large numbers of folks and you know maybe a few fewer like 70 hour weeks than there used to be. The buildings have gotten nicer. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if that was all like a conspiratorial like preparation for the internship, which uh, sadly I still haven't seen. Um, I, I don't think you're missing much having not seen it since you worked there. But <laughs> well, I, strangely enough, I actually got to see uh, some of the fil- uh, scenes get filmed. Uh, in particular, um, I assume this was probably part of some montage. But uh, next to my building. Um, well, I used to say, um, it, my building houses the uh, the largest of the gyms in the Mountain View campus, so mm-hmm. you know, lots of people through. And right outside are the, uh, the the tread pools, you know, which are basically like glorified hot tubs that instead of you know bubbling you around, just push you back. Um, I don't recommend those if you don't swim very well. Uh, but yeah, they apparently were filming a scene where uh, Vince Vaughn and Owen Wilson had to fake drown in them for like ten minutes. <sighs> The biggest hassle was they they closed off like large yeah large uh, methods of entry into my building, uh-huh. so had to like you know like step around and uh, you know and then walk around the people that are trying to catch a view and I'm like well you haven't seen a Vince Vaughn movie before like this kind of happens. Um, right. Got to sort of curtail the rubberneckers so to speak. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it, it it's cute, and um, I, you know, um, well, I mean, I guess you'll nah, you'd have to tell me how the review went. Um, I couldn't tell you. I don't. I have no idea. I've only seen one Vince Vaughn movie. Uh, oh, so wait, wait, wait. So, so you're so you're just shooting down the internship without having seen it yourself either. Well, that's nice. Yeah, I can. I think you know, as an adult, I can do that, right? Yeah. <laughs> just as a as a regular rational upstanding member of society, I can opt not to watch a Vince Vaughn movie just off premise alone. That's that's fair. Um, I, I, had to be, <laughs> I had to be dragged kicking and screaming by some college friends to see the uh, Wedding Crashers, so I, I, I totally understand. Gotcha. So so at Google, what uh, particularly do you work on? Can you mention that? Uh, I think so. Um, so I work in a uh, – my department is now referred to as Advertiser Platform, which basically means that uh, – we work on all the uh, nuts and bolts that um, help people, you know, get their message out with Google um, and, you know, give us money in the process. Which, so, like, you know, AdWords, AdSense, that sort of thing? Right. Um, I work on AdWords in particular. Okay. And so, have you uh, been working on that for, for the, the main time that you've been at Google, or have you moved around to different projects and stuff? I used to uh, I used to move around a little bit. Um, I've been with AdWords since about 06, so... Um, um, I, I, I've, you could say I've kind of dropped my anchor there. Okay. What would you say is the best thing about what you do at Google? Ooh, um, probably the one thing that's been um, been reliable through all of the years is just being able to work with really smart people. And I know that's the, the that that sounds kind of that's the sort of thing that can sound kind of trite. Uh, mm-hmm. If yeah, you know, if you hear it in the wrong way, but it's yeah, but it's really true that um, uh, that if you've ever had to like deal with a work environment where like some somebody's not like you know not pulling weight or they're really whiny or stuff, and like you know there are a couple you know there are a couple folks that you know um, are like on a project they're not terribly happy with, and you know they end up switching teams, and then they're you know much happier or what have you. But for the most part, like you know the people like um, the people I've worked with are really bright, really hardworking, um, and really want to, like, make good stuff happen. And that, mm-hmm. that's probably the most fulfilling part. Like, you know, wh- whatever it is that you're, you know, you've set your mind on and, like, we've done, like, you know, uh, like back-end migrations, you know, new UIs, um, and, you know, so, like, things that sort of require, like, you know, different um, sets of focus. And through that, the folks, at least the folks I, I've worked with over the years have been um, – um, really keen to you know do the right thing, not cut corners, not not catch, um, and that's been really nice and probably one of been the one of the biggest things that uh, kept me at Google so long. Nice, nice. So you say you're working on on the AdWord project pretty much exclusively. That's what you've been doing. But you say that if someone, for example, isn't happy there, they have the option to sort of move around to different projects. Are there any other projects that that you've worked on besides AdWords, or has that just been your your primary focus? Uh, before AdWords, I worked on, uh, uh, AdSense for a bit and Google Analytics, uh, back, um, just as it was, uh, being, uh, picked up as an acquisition. Mm-hmm. So, mostly I've, I've kind of stayed within the ecosystem of, you know, people that have websites and, you know, trying to either, you know, and trying to make a living off of them, I guess. Nice, nice. You'll, you'll, you will be the second person that I've, interviewed so far that works at Google. Oh, uh, the, the first one is, well, we interviewed her a few months back. It was D Speed, who is a design lead 
for Google Analytics. It would probably be oh, okay. silly for me to say, do you know her? Because I'm sure Google has like hundreds of people that work there. Uh, but yeah, yeah, it, it, yeah. Like I, I remember when, um, yeah, I, I remember when Google was like, um, you know, like one or two thousand people, and you know, people could ask that question of me, and like, you know, there was like an outside chance that like, you know, um, there would be a name connected to us, particularly since, um, you know, a lot of the people they were uh, they were hiring um, back in the day were kind of, you know, roughly my age, you know, recently out of school, and so like, you know, if I didn't know them, um, you know, from work, I'm, you know, I might know, even know them from school. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, now nowadays, you know, I I think the, we're up to like thirty five thousand employees worldwide, or some ridiculous number like that. Uh, wow. Um, and and you're at the main campus. You're at the Mountain View campus, right? Right. Uh, I've kind of lost track of the number of buildings we have now, but I think it's like nineteen or twenty. They uh, wow. they started shopping ideas on how to renumber them so that people don't get lost because that, that's kind of a problem now. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, unfortunately, I don't. Uh, I I don't know her. Okay. Well, I mean, I, I figured I'd throw that out there to say that there's that you know that Google connection, so to speak. But that's pretty cool that there's so many that has that's gotten so big that you know it's it's kind of really rare. I think when you have a company as big as Google, where I you know someone mentions, oh, do you know such and such? You're like, oh yeah, I know them. Blah blah blah. You know, Google's pretty. I mean, it's it's worldwide, like you said. So just figured I'd. I'd I'd mention that in case you wanted to check out the interview or look her up or, or anything like that. So how how did you first get involved in software engineering? Oh, boy. Um, you know, it's funny because I, for me, the, um, the, well, I guess, well, so tech, technically, um, I, I, I think one is supposed to distinguish software engineering from programming or other computer stuff, but for me, it's all been kind of a continuum. Okay. Um, and honestly, I, I don't know. I think for me, it probably go, goes even, oh, probably kindergarten, actually. Um, wow. Well, because I, I, I don't know if you had this experience, but um, in, in my kindergarten, we had a, uh, had a computer class where we had, uh, or maybe it was first grade, um, we had Logo the Turtle. I remember Logo. Yeah, you remember Logo? You know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and learning to draw stuff. I think that was like the it probably. I mean, that that was probably the, the first you know serious exposure to. Oh, you can not just like you know play video stuff on a screen because like you know um, back then like you know Nintendo was around and I think I'd just gotten one. Um, and, you know there were other there were other uh, game consoles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, or you know video games to to play. But that was kind of the first time you know, I realized that, oh like you know there's this kind of stuff you could do under the hood and fuss you know, fuss with. Right. Um, no, you know, I, I mean, that was kind of a, 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 a fleeting experience because I didn't actually get a computer of my own until I was seventh grade, I think. And by then, um, I'd had another computer class at school. I think it was like, you know, just like rudimentary basic programming for people that, you know, got out of uh, got out of Mavis Beacon super fast. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just like, again, getting used to like telling, you know, realizing you could tell the computer to do stuff and it'll do stuff. And... That was really cool. Um, like I said, I think I was like um, 13 or so when uh, one of my grandmother's friends who um, was just retiring from her work at a bank had this uh, old IBM PC XT floating, ar- uh, floating around in her attic. Um, now, just to give you some context on this thing, uh, the PC XT uh, was the first IBM computer, well, personal computer, that they sold with a hard drive. Ten megabytes. Crazy. Wow. 
But you know, like it could store <laughs> stuff. You, you know, it could store stuff. You didn't have to use floppy disks for everything. Mind you, like I, you know, I got the, by the time I got this thing, it was like 1994, and so, and so, like you know, working with a computer that was, you know, only two years younger than I was was you know, not exactly state of the art. But you know, I'd known basic, <laughs> and it, you know, it, it had some preloaded, you know, software from the bank, um, you know, with a pretty hefty code base. And I'm like, oh, let me go hack on this for a bit. And so, you know, like, I, I fiddled with that for a while, and that was kind of enough to convince my parents that maybe I should get something a little more advanced. Um, that was fun. I, I remember, I still remember going to the computer shop. Um, it was like, you know, one of those, like, you know, big box electronics things that also sold uh, washing machines. And actually, we didn't get a computer that day, because if I remember right, my dad and I got into this horrible, horrible fight because I wanted a um, the monochrome inkjet printer, and he thought that the color dock matrix would be better. So that kind of ended up scuttling the whole deal, which in hindsight seems really hilarious. But I guess I've had kind of a um, kind of a grouchy streak at points. <laughs> now, but, did you uh, went to school for uh, what did you go to school for? Um, when I got to college, uh, computer science. Okay. Um, it actually, it, it, it actually took me a while to declare my major. Um, I mean, I, I, you know, I started doing, you know, you know, taking programming classes and, and stuff in the CS curriculum um, um, pretty fast out. But some of my friends were uh, working on um, uh, in the cognitive science area, which was a little more interdisciplinary and had like, um, you know, um, more of a focus on artificial intelligence, which really seemed cool at the time and. Um, like psychology and linguistics, and so I, I got a. Um, I mean, I, I sort of set things up so that I was also, you know, knocking out um, like core cu- curriculum requirements. And uh, I think uh, started my senior year, I realized that like either I could take the class in algorithms, or I could take the class in like the core class in linguistics, uh, or I could take both to cover both majors. And then I realized, well, I, I didn't hate myself quite that much, so I decided to <laughs> do computer science then. Nice. So you're in in San Francisco, which is you know the, the heart of Silicon Valley, sort of. I guess it's more. I feel like it, that's more like Mountain View, Palo Alto, but I think it's yeah. Like the whole, I, you, maybe you could call it the pinhead. Um. <laughs> the pinhead of of uh, of Silicon Valley, and I know that CNN did this special. I think maybe about two or three years ago, called uh, it was Black in America Four, and they were talking about. African Americans and stuff in Silicon Valley, and I think that the notion of Silicon Valley as being this really big, like sort of tech—I don't even know if meritocracy is the right word—but this big tech mecca uh, is something that has, you know, really become a part of everyday uh, knowledge. Are you involved a lot in the local tech community in San Francisco? Uh, it's funny. I, the way I—I guess the short answer is no. Um, the way I've kind of, you know, seen things is like there's such a wide swath of um, of folks working in tech here, be they like in, you know, marketing or product or um, like um, or production or, you know, software development that like to um, – there are probably too many of them to re- really call it, a, uh, call it a community. So I think, you know, people kind of shard themselves into, you know, more specific interest groups. Also, I would also uh, – I kind of think that – People out here tend, um, I mean, the way this works as a mecca is that a lot of people out here tend to work a fair amount. And so kind of in their free time, a good number of folks tend to kind of, you know, uh, set the computer down and, you know, find other stuff to do. Um, 
the Bay Area is really beautiful, so there, you know, there are lots of outdoor activities that, you know, kind of tempt people away from computers, thank goodness, uh, you know, be it cycling or camping or um, skiing, if you're that kind of person in the winter, mm-hmm. um, by which I mean I'm not that kind of person in the winter. Oh, okay. um, <laughs> my, 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 my personal escape tends to be uh, more along the lines of, uh, of, of old physical books. I haven't quite uh, taken up on the, uh, the 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 Kindle e-reader revolution just yet. Uh-huh. Um, maybe one of these days, but for now, I kind of like being being able to turn the screens off and uh, and uh, go back to olden times. I think it's it not actually bad. Makes it, yeah, I think it actually makes it easier to uh, to um, uh, to, to reengage with work when you know you kind of have an opportunity for a, a technology kill switch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds like technology is just so. Well, I mean, technology in the, in the broad sense is such a pervasive part of San Francisco that it, it just—it seems like people are involved in it that aren't really even tech people. Like you said, there's sales, there's marketing, there's all these sort of other areas. So I would imagine that a lot of things might seem like overkill. Like if you're working a 70-hour week, <laughs> whatever free time you have left, you probably don't want to keep doing more tech stuff, you know? Right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like, yeah, and there, you know, I mean, there's some people that um, will, you know, gravitate to things that do involve screens. Um, you know, um, I used to unwind with video games a lot more than I do nowadays, for instance. Mm-hmm. So, um, well, I guess they announced there's going to be a uh, a new version of Smash Brothers for the Wii U. So uh, I should, you know, get my checkbook out. Um, <laughs> uh, so, you know, and um, sorry, I totally lost my train of thought. That's okay. <laughs> uh, who are who are some of your your influences? Who uh, have you had any mentors that have kind of helped you along the way to where you are now? Hmm. Well, first I I, I I I feel obliged to give props to my dad. Um, he was very blue collar. Um, he was a uh, um, he was an arc welder for a living. Um, uh, was a member of a boilermakers union. But you know, from um, from my early childhood, he always like encouraged me to uh, to do better than him, and you know was very comfortable with me, you know, doing all kinds of ridiculous stuff. He probably gave me a bit too long of a leash at um, um, at points, um, particularly when you know I would feign sickness when I had a uh, an English paper due in middle school. But um, <laughs> that but that latitude, like in particular, like. When I when I was younger, he would kind of be a little more forceful about trying to get me uh, get me out of the house and you know away from screens. But then he started right. playing video games with me, and you know, so that was like a bonding chance. And you know, then that that first computer that I sort of tore into both inside and out, um, and just sort of you know, he just sort of you know you know let me figure out how to um, how to uh, kind of engage with stuff that he wasn't necessarily familiar with. Um, his brother, actually, um, who I think was one of the first folks on uh, his side of the family to go to college, he ended up working in IT as well. Um, and I didn't see him much when I was a kid, but um, I did have a couple of experiences with him because back back then he was um, kind of in a sales engineer role, and that kind of gave me my, my first introduction that, like, oh, this is something you can, like, you can mess with, you know, technology and make a living out of it. Oh, cool, right? Um right. You know, uh, outside of that, like, you know, most of the people that I knew with you know, jobs were, you know, either blue collar or um, uh, or stuff like, you know, like standard stuff like doctor or whatever, you know, um, uh, that I think are, you know, sta- they're still pretty typical, like, that's what you should do when you grow up, things, um, 
opportunity, um, you know, for 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 people that are uh, that are uh, looking to excel. Mm-hmm. So, um, so those are probably the, the two early ones. Um, early in my Google career, um, and this is actually, uh, and this is actually uh, kind of a, a fun quirk of, um, well, just you know, getting a job in your early twenties uh, when you have a degree and you know, not a lot of work experience. I actually started at Google in more of a uh, sales support role, you know, basically uh-huh. like tech, tech support sort of thing. Um, and I had a uh, about a year into my work, I got a new boss. Yeah, his name was Jared, and he was just like this ridiculous firecracker. I, I'm pretty sure he started working in um, in like uh, IT, Valley stuff, kind of in a product management role, and then off to go to school, or you know, like you know, some ridiculous ordering where he was clearly kind of an atypical go-getter. Mm-hmm. Um, he was pretty. He was pretty instrumental in helping me um, make the leap into uh, an engineering role at Google. Uh, when I did it, I think there had only been one other person that had, you know, done something similar, and it gave the HR department fits because they didn't really know, you know, what to do. Because when there isn't a process for something, it gets really hard because <laughs> they have to invent <laughs> invent them. So there was a, there, there was a point uh, point at which he had. He helped finagle them into declaring me an intern for for engineering purposes, but still like an employee for like um, for like internal um, like permission reasons, which was just which was sort of an utter mess when you know actually trying to you know get my coding environment set up because I kept running into these weird permission stu- uh, things and no one around me had a similar setup, so you know not everyone, there wasn't really much I could do to get help. I just kind of had to muddle along. But um, but Jared was good at um, helping me to sort of understand how business culture worked because you know like I you know I understood computers and you know that was good but like like corporate culture and like you know how you like do things in a way that gets you know well recognized like that that was very foreign to me um, yeah and I think it's like foreign to to a lot of folks that don't have a lot don't have much exposure to kind of like you know valley or corporate culture because again I'm sure you know like there's a process for this sort of thing that probably is in you know many industries be it like finance or whatever like there's like a you know a certain like ritual you're supposed to do to you know help advance your career and you know get recognized and all that stuff and he kind of helped me you know piece that together. um a, a good comparison he made was that um to advance yourself you should sort of treat it like like college classes in that like you know when you're starting a college class um like you know the the material's easy because it's just sort of introduction you can kind of coast a little bit and you you don't have to like really you, you don't have to really like you know throw yourself against a wall to get stuff done but like then there's sort of come times there's a hot periods like you know there's a big project or like there's a final showing up and that's when you kind of have to really you know buckle down and you know show what you can crank out um you know when like you know when there's a deadline or there's you know everyone's trying to you know get stuff together at a point and like his big point was like it was those crunch times that people tend to remember and those are the ones that you get recognized for so as long as you can kind of manage to you know you know push through on the uh, the important times and then throttle back to recharge yourself so that mm-hmm. you don't burn out then you know, that that kind of gives you an, an ebb and flow for a, a successful career and it it's taken me a while to kind of kind of internalize that but um but i i i i'm, I'm they haven't fired me yet so i i guess i'm doing okay <laughs> well no i think that's interesting that you had sort of uh a business mentor that 
sort of also worked where you work to kind of show you the ropes and help you along. I don't know how, how prevalent that is in other private sector gigs where you start somewhere and there's someone else there that kind of helps you along so you can, you know, sort of build and grow there. Uh, I feel like at most places you sort of get dropped in. Well, you get hired, and then it's sort of a baptism by fire where they just keep throwing stuff at you until you get it. And then you get it, and then you keep trying to get it until, you know, you get fired or they or you decide to just do something else. So I think that's really telling. I don't know if that's a, a Google thing or if that guy was just really nice. I'm assuming he was just really nice. Uh, but well, to have someone to sort of kind of help you along that way. Well, I mean, it also helps to I, – I mean, and I, I don't know how Google-specific this is, but obviously it, it helps that, you know, um, to have a corporate environment in which he he himself, you know, gets praise and career success through the mentorship. Like, you know, uh, like he could, you know, put a feather in his cap and say, you know, like I turned this sales guy into a, into a software engineer. Like, like that's obviously something that, you know, is – fairly easy for people um people to like look at in like you know in like eight words or whatever and say oh well, you know that that's valuable to google i'm glad he did that we should recognize people that you know make make the uh, make those sorts of things happen mm-hmm. um and I, I think for for the most part um the the management at google like you know the the, the people that you know move the move the uh, like the the frontline employees um around they for the most part at least from what i've seen um are are pretty good at um being recognized for doing a good job of making people more useful and happier because that does because that's really that i mean that's really their role like i mean you know they, they have you know like i mean you know they have their you know other responsibilities for like you know directing the you know the course of uh, you know, google products and what have you but um you know, actually, like you know, creating groups of people that can execute is—it's n- not an obvious trait, um, and it's something that you know has to kind of be tweaked on. And Google, I think, um, on the whole, has been fairly good at um, rewarding folks that do a better job of that. Okay, I I, I totally can can see that because Google, at least, just you know, on. On face value, from the outside looking in, is all about sort of discovery and innovation. So it would make sense that they would apply those same principles internally. You know, mm-hmm. I got you. So there's been a lot of talk, and I mentioned this earlier in the past. I don't know, like four or five years about uh, diversity in Silicon Valley, particularly with with startups and with with tech businesses. I remember, I think there was uh, some article about how Apple and some other companies refuse to disclose what their their diversity numbers are like in terms of their workforce. Uh there were there was like a twenty ten study where people were saying that uh black folks make up one percent of, of startups or tech companies or something out there in, in the in the Silicon Valley area. What are your your thoughts on that? Because you've been in the area and working for, you know, almost a decade now. Uh yeah. what, how do you feel about that? Yeah, and for a, a, a decent amount of that time, I've I've seen myself as like you know the only black guy in the department. Um, I, I I used to be a lot more cognizant of it um, back in the day. Um, or 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 I guess I should say the, the reverse. I was I always noticed when I was no longer the only black person around. Um, okay. <laughs> um, I, and you know um, you know it's worth saying that like probably the most well, I, I should say that there's this is 
this is an understandable criticism of um, of technology and Silicon Valley in general, but I think there's sort of a uh, there's some societal issues that it can't fully control sort of at hand. Like um, it's probably worth you know mentioning that like you know the uh, the only the you know um, the only African American on you know Google's uh, uh, board of directors uh, is is an attorney like you know he's the uh, chief legal officer um and okay. you know like a, a lot of a, a lot of the folks that you see kind of in more senior roles if you go through the company directory you know tend to be in the legal department and i think some of that is just indicative of the you know some of the choices that um uh talented or ambitious um um black folks going into school end up making and you know that's not entirely something that you know at least you know, at least in Google's early life or, like, the early life of, you know, um, a lot of uh, these tech companies. Because, like, I mean, it's only been a fairly recent innovation that these folks have gotten, yeah, that the, you know, that this part of the economy has started, started to grow this much um, and, you know, you know, get the kind of implied clout and the um, implied responsibility that comes from that. So, so like, obviously, like, you know, if there are only so many um, – uh, black people going into like you know engineering degrees, um, you're only going to get so many on the uh, on, on the end, you know, uh, mm-hmm. getting the jobs. So in, in some ways, I, I think like and you know I've I've seen you know being around work, you know I've seen these summer programs where they you know in, in, invite minority students to come in and um, um, like you know see the campus or take um, or. Uh, or like you know, take classes. Or I, I think I heard in the uh, the news uh, a couple months ago about some program to uh, to uh, like encourage minority entrepreneurs to like you know you know come to the valley and learn how to pitch ideas. You know, um, like so like I, I, there there seems to be a, a bit of a concerted effort to try to um, re- drop the barrier, drop um, you know what cultural barriers there might be to there being. Um, like more black participation in in this world. Mm-hmm. Some of it, um, at least you know, from my standpoint, because of course, like um, you know, I was I was in college for you know, like um, just before the uh, first dot com bust, and um, I of course had like you know, um, you know like old you know, um, you know old boss managers um, back home in Pittsburgh that would see me in the summer and ask me like you know when I'm going to you know form a startup. And I just sort of you know look at them funny and think. Are you, are you are you you're kidding, right? Um, <laughs> and and it, to, to me, a lot of it goes into like there's a certain amount of risk aversion that I think comes when you yeah when you start off in a you know somewhat underprivileged background and you kind of think that you have to be very careful about like what choices you to you know build a life for yourself because you know if like you know, if you have like a you know a um, like a family structure like we can act the trampoline in space like you do. For two years and it doesn't work out. Well, you know that's that, that's great. You know you should totally take advantage of it. But if you don't, you have to be a little more you know careful about the battles you choose. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, so in, in some ways, like even you know, like you know, like even if the you know the, the numbers of blacks in technology um, or like in, in in technology jobs, not just like in the tech sector generally, like if that like evens out as like you know a percentage of you know the overall U.S. population, like I think you're still good at least in the like startup entrepreneurial realm going to see a bit of a skew for reasons like that and you know um and you know i i think solving trying trying to rectify that would be a very very hard problem to solve definitely Mm -hmm.
once um, uh, on a uh, on a flight back um, to SF from Atlanta, uh, sit next to a guy who was uh, you know uh, young youngish um, black. I think he was from North Carolina. And he was flying out to like you know work on you know one of these you know startup factories and um I, uh, and I think I, I, I didn't want to like badger him but I think it, it's like the, the short version of his idea sort of involved um, resources for um, like uh, basketball recruits either in, in either college or the pros mm-hmm. which seems like which which seems like I think like the the quintessential example of why it, it, it's valuable to have to have um, like minority voices in uh, in the entrepreneurial realm because like there are the the real power of the startup sector is to identify very specific problems that technology might be able to solve and then see mm-hmm. if the if those solutions can generalize to something that can solve a larger problem for a larger group of people. But if you don't start off with like like kind of in you know, in the weeds for like you know these the, these particular issues, you don't yeah you never you never get out to the to the um, the um, bigger solutions. And right. you know, a lot of and a lot of the things that you know people so, people try to solve with their startups tend to be very personal because that's that's how you that's how most people like justify working hours a week on something or or more if they're you know you know um, if they're like you know uh, founders or what have um it's really like you you find a problem and you're really focused on trying you know, you know trying to trying to bring it through and the the best ways to do that are things that really hit close to home um so you know by extension you know if you um want technology to work with the community you've got to you, you Yeah, uh, it's it's interesting because uh, I think I don't know if you've heard of New Me Accelerator, but they're located out in San Francisco as well, and they do some work with I think Google Entrepreneurs. Uh, so they are, and this still sort of came from the Blacks in America Four special that CNN had, but they you know bring in companies from all over the country, and they sort of serve like an accelerator. They introduce them to venture capitalists. They introduce them to people that work at a lot of the big uh, tech companies out there to sort of put them in that environment and, you know, let them see what it's what it's all about. But there's two things about that that I find kind of interesting. The first is that uh, a lot of startups see Silicon Valley as like the finish line. Like they, they see everything that they have to do with their company to build and grow, and it's all sort of pointed towards this one particular geographic spot. Well, I guess that's because there's a concentration of, of – possible active users, venture capitalist money, you know, what have you. It's interesting that people see that as like a finish line of where they have to go with their with their startup companies. The second thing, and it sort of spoke uh, speaks to something you said earlier, is how uh, what you have in terms of the good thing about having more diversity is you have different voices at the table that can solve different problems that perhaps the mainstream group doesn't it doesn't know is even aware about, for example. So what you see now is you have a lot of, you know, basically 20-something white guys solving problems for other 20-something white guys in terms of, you know, apps and yeah. services and things like that. Right. Uh, yeah. I don't know. And I guess it's because of the whole sort of dot-com, but when people look at Silicon Valley is like that's the place where that's where all these companies are, are started and that's where you hear about all the money being from like TechCrunch and Pando Daily and Mashable and all these other websites. Uh, the focus seems to be, you know, get an idea, build my product, 
go to Silicon Valley and sell it and be rich. You know, that's like the goal, it seems, which I'm not saying that's an unattainable goal. Uh, it's just interesting how that seems to be what the narrative is, where, you know, there's other tech co- I mean, there's there's New York City. There's a lot that's going on here in Atlanta that a lot of people do uh, with respect to biotech. Um, so, I don't know. I, I just find that to be kind of interesting. Yeah, I was actually going to say that, like, um, there, there do seem to be a lot of a lot of parts of the country that are trying to be the next Silicon Valley, be it, like, I think, you know, Austin, Texas is trying to make a you know, play for that. Um, my hometown back in Pittsburgh, they're certainly trying to, you know, leverage mm-hmm. the, uh, the, the the smarts of the people going to Carnegie Mellon or right. um, or in or in uh, um, or in you know biotech stuff to a lesser extent, uh, University of Pittsburgh. Um, so, like, yeah, like you're 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 I think you're um, spot on about kind of you know the 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 story of like selling your startup is kind of striking gold uh-huh um which is you know yeah which is tricky and i think in, in some ways i i think that that's kind of reflective of um how well, i mean there there're probably a lot of there're probably a lot of things at play i mean certainly i think anything that sounds like a get rich quick scheme probably sells better than you know learning how to run a you know, a long-term viable business because, mm-hmm. like, you know, like, you know, mom-and-pop shop, you know, or mom-and-pop tech company that's been open for 30 years, you know, delivering, you know, excellent, you know, data mining services to people. Like, that 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 that, that doesn't, like, you know, strike the imagination of folks. It, there's no big bang. It doesn't sound like winning the lottery. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, I, I think there's – you just have a, a lot of natural bias towards that, right? Um, like, you know, so – so the startup thing is becomes um, like the tech sector's version of uh, I don't know um, doubling your money on the stock market or something. Right. And because like, you know like yeah, well I I, I guess I could uh, I I'd just say that like you know in, in you know in the real world usually success takes many years and you know sometimes many attempts and some you know you know trial and error and mm-hmm. you know. Um, and it's, you know, more of a, uh, I mean, to me, it's always seemed like more of a, uh, like a longer haul. Right. There's uh, a notion of like failing fast so you can sort of bounce back quicker. Well, and, 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 and you know, like I was sort of alluding to before, that's great if, if, like, if, if failure is something, is, if failure can be structured in a way that's less catastrophic, you know, that's, that's great. And I think you <laughs> see a lot of folks that are like, uh, what's the free, uh, like you know serial entrepreneurs? You'd say like you know they start a business and sometimes it, you know sometimes it fizzles out and sometimes it takes off and like you know they run away and you know or se- you know sell it off to somebody and then they you know try again. Um, right. And you know like you know like uh, all praises be to those folks, but like that's I mean that that's it'll be a, I mean you know maybe someone can you know create a society in which everyone's comfortable doing that, but that'll be a long time in coming. Not just yeah. that, but um, you know, to like I like I said, you you kind of, you have to have people you know keeping you have to have people around kind of focusing on keeping the lights on so that other folks can uh, can fail fast and right, so they can forward. afford to sort of make those uh, make those mistakes because if it's something, for example, if it's your first business and you you put your heart and soul into it and it just flops, you know, you may feel discouraged to even try it again if you don't really have that that support system around that can sort of help you. So I sort of see in that instance why people would uh, 
sort of flock to Silicon Valley because it seems like the culture, and I don't want to say it this way, but the culture supports failure. So you can, you know, sort of rebuild and, and, you know, become even better, that sort of thing. Yeah, I, I, it sounds like we're kind of, I mean, uh, like, I guess I, I, I guess I'm not, you know, I, I'll, I guess I'll put it this way. Um, I'm not in kind of the the uh, the, the startup scene quite enough to, you know, um, uh, to judge naturally. Although mm-hmm. I, I think I've I've heard mixed messages about exactly how how at least emotionally encouraging um, folks around here are about failure. Like. Because you're right, like a lot of a lot of times, these, these sorts of things can be, a, you know, a wrenching process for someone. But I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know if that necessarily means that, like, you know, there's a, uh, you know, there's a startup closure support group floating around. More is the better yeah. if there is one. <laughs> like like Alcoholics Anonymous or something, you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, like, my name is Tommy. I'm the startup. startup. That kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Hi, my name is Bob. My startup closed six months ago. Hi, Bob. You know, because right. like, um, I, I, I mean, like uh, a, a couple people have kind of made uh, editorials I've seen have kind of you know made comparisons between like the kind of the uh, uh, jockishness of um, investment banking that leads people to like you know hide losses that you know compound into you know billions of dollars of failure that like you know risks taking down the largest banks in the world. Mm-hmm. And I mean, and all of that, you know, and those tends, and like you know, analysis of those things often leading to uh, to um, the conclusion that usually it's like the avoidance of shame that drives people to do this sort of thing, uh-huh. like as opposed to like you know the use of common sense. Right. And you know, <laughs> I, I one one thing that I think is always you know, always um, very very dangerous amongst you know. Um, guys in particular in tech, uh, is the thought that, like, they're being very, very level-headed when, in fact, they're being much more driven by, like, their feelings and than either they're letting on or they're admitting to their, themselves. And so, mm-hmm. like, I think that means that, you know, in that whole, like, startup culture, you could very easily, you know, get people that are not not quite, you know, I mean, they can pay lip service to these very, like, level-headed um, discussions of, you know, fast failure and what have you, but, you know, you know still being ripped to shreds on the inside. Mm-hmm. I got you. So I think you might have touched on this a bit earlier. So uh, one of the things that I know I hear a lot when it comes to, and this is not just in Silicon Valley, I think this is in, in general when it comes to increasing uh, diversity in the tech community, whether it's gender diversity, racial diversity, what have you, uh, what I hear from the other side, from the mainstream side, is that it's it's too much work, it's a lot of effort, you know, why can't they just come to us, that sort of thing. Uh, what are some ways that you think uh, we, can, we can sort of increase diversity in the community without sort of falling back on those, those kind of trite excuses? Well, so... I think generally the um the the US tech sector is like running into the problem of not having a, you know enough qualified employees generally um uh-huh. and so like you know the minority minority representation part of that is just they uh um I mean it's just another facet of uh, of that fact um you know whether you can lay it on and I was trying, sort of touching on this before whether you can lay it on you know business um, to be the sole cause, uh, sole reason that uh, 
that, um, you know, the American education system isn't really, you know, producing 21st century you know, skills or, you know, talking points like that. That's that's sort of an open, you know, a, you know an open question. Um, certainly, mm -hmm. I think, you know, companies could, you know, can probably afford to, you know, do more to encourage people to be interested in technology as something to pay attention to, particularly, you know, uh, young people. And, you know, you, you, you see efforts like that, you know, coming around. Um, but but anything, anytime you're talking, like, you know, encouraging fifth graders or eighth graders or even, you know, like high school seniors to, like, you know, in a particular field, you can kind of assume that, like, it's going to take a couple years of lead time to, you know, see fruits from that effort. So... Uh -huh. Um, because you're like, you know, you, 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 you can't take like, um, you know, some, you know, from an, uh, from an, you know, an auto parts factory, you know, um, put them through like a, you know, a six month computer programming class and, you know, expect him to shine. Like, I think that's like, that's that, like people don't change over skill sets quite, quite that fast, which means that like, um, you know, I, I think questions have been really just turn very quickly into questions about, you know, how American children are, you know, are learning and what they're learning, you know, learning and, like, what skills are they building up to, you know, uh, find jobs in technology and, you know, be they, you know, black kids or, you know, or white kids or Latino kids or what have you. Um, I, I think that sort of the, in some ways, it's kind of the, the same general problem. Um, so, you know, I don't, uh, I, I, I don't want to say that it's the, uh, that it's a, a problem that, you know, um, doesn't have an answer or doesn't deserve, you know, deserve to be solved, but I think it's, the, uh, it, it's very clearly something that's going to take time to fix and is mm -hmm. more reflective of deeper problems that, you know, we have, um, with, you know, learning and inequality in in the country that I don't think, um, that I think um, that, that, I, that I think the tech industry can contribute to, but I don't think they can single-handedly solve. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, I see why I think it has to be sort of something on both ends. You know, like if if uh, if companies and and organizations do the outreach, then you know, I think the interested parties that want to be a part of that should sort of meet them halfway. Now, maybe. They're not meeting in the same place. Maybe it's like I feel like it's like two ships passing in the night, you know, um, because you've got these organizations like Black Girls Code, Blacks in Technology. There's a there's a uh, God I can't remember the name. There's an agency, not an agency, it's a website, but it highlights women speakers. It starts with an A. It's like Authenticity or, or something like that, uh, where they try to encourage more more uh, women speakers at events and things like that. But then you may look at the mainstream community, and I, think, I remember hearing this on, I think it was on a recent design podcast or tech podcast or something, because uh, they were also sort of decrying how much effort it is to do diversity research, and they were like, you know, it's just so much easier to turn to, you know, the designer next to you with the Retina MacBook Pro than to, you know, try to look and find or even or even ask people in these other organizations that are out there invisible, you know, how can – we sort of work together and, and help each other out. So it, it's it's I think it's like yeah like two ships kind of passing. We're just looking in in different places perhaps. So I can see why more black people would try to get into Silicon Valley to perhaps uh, be in those spaces. 
for them when that person turns to the Retina Pro MacBook beside them, it's, you know, someone different, perhaps. Right. Um, so. Yeah, and, and in a lot of ways, I think you, you need experiences like that to remind people that there are questions like that to be to be asked in the first place because right, right. I mean, what, because I mean what I mean you, you, like a lot can be done in a fast-paced environment but uh, reflection is rarely the sort of thing that gets um, the done very much in a fast-paced environment um, so it, and it's like just like when you have a work environment and a you know an industry culture that's very you know um, which is very focused on you know particular goals mm-hmm. uh, a lot a, a, a lot comes, uh, you know, a lot of kind of um, wider-ranging concerns can kind of come off as noise. And the only way to really yeah. it really change that dynamic is to have people at the table uh, to actually, like, you know, raise those points. Right. Um, you know, like, I mean, you know, like, you know, like Cheryl Sandberg's on her, her book tour sort of, you know, talking about this from the, uh, from the woman's perspective. And I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure I'm qualified to, you know, uh, you know, make 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 the you know succeed in uh, succeed in technology cookbook for uh, for uh, for uh, African Americans, but you know, uh, um, <laughs> you know, like me, yeah. I mean, hopefully it's you know, hopefully you know, like a best-selling book is not what's necessary to like you know change the tide on uh, on this, but really just the recognition that like you know, if you want technology to work for you, you've got to you know. You, you you have to have you know some engagement with it. It just doesn't it doesn't necessarily fall from the sky. And right. it because you know like um, you know good intentions side people are still just you know people and you know, with you know limited attention spans and you know <sighs> that's true. And they only will 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 interact mostly within their their circles of engagement. So if you don't necessarily have that circle that is that diverse when it comes to finding people for certain opportunities then you know, you're just you're simply just not there. You know, it's, I don't think that's necessarily a matter of uh, of people say it's like discrimination or racism, but maybe you're just not there. You know? Yeah, exactly. Like, uh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean, we're I mean, we're talking in, in particular cases. I don't mean overall, but right, right, right. No, no. I was, I, I, no, I was just sort of um, uh, laughing to myself about like you know. Um, you, yeah, like the sort of you know, the abstract question of whether racism can can occur in a vacuum, and yeah, the sort of answer is well, I mean, it's very easy to stereotype people you don't see ever, um, or bare, you know, or you know, barely see or see from a distance. Um, so you know, the, 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 so the answer is like that. I mean, so it isn't you know, it isn't quite as uh, as cut and dry as to say that like you know, the, you know, the, there isn't any bias at all, but that. But there's you know, there, there, there's no way to you know like to really take it seriously um, without some kind of in-person engagement. Um, okay. Sorry. Well, this sort of this sort of segues into my into my next question, which was huh? um, sort of what advice would you give to someone that's just sort of starting out uh, with what you do with with say with software engineering? What what, what advice would you give them? Um. Well, so, well, starting out is kind of a kind of a kind of a vague a vague thing, right? And I just mean that in the sense of like, well, like, are you talking about like someone that's like you know very young and like sort of kind of in, in the middle of their schooling, kind of deciding that they want to go to? You know, well, yeah, um, let's say that. Let's say let's say it's a it's a, a high school junior who's interested okay. in software engineering. Let's put it okay. like that. Yeah. So, 
<laughs> I'm going to start delivering delivering advice that I, I I I didn't didn't have the sense to follow myself. That's always great, right? <laughs> um, so hindsight is 2020. So yeah, yeah, of course. Um, I think the big one, uh, the the big thing is to is, is to try. Um, so you know, like there, you know, nowadays, like um, SDKs are like a dime a dozen, right? Like you can, you know, you know, you can, you know, download um, a developer kit for iOS or what have you. I mean, and you know, tons of people have iPhones. Like technology is just so is like computing technology is just so much more ubiquitous now than it used to be. I mean, and so like the first thing is just like you know, try fiddling around. Um, you know, whatever you have around, you know, if it's in the, you know, if you have a computer and an iPhone, like, you know, try try to write an app that does something. It doesn't even have to be it doesn't have to be anything amazing. It just has to be something that you know, solves one problem you have. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and and see how that goes. See what you learn. You don't even have to you don't even have to make it work necessarily. Although you know, like accomplishing something is nice. But like the but the process of you know, sort of that 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 soft failure of well, you know, like I'm going to make something for myself and you know go from there. And you know, um, look for mentors wherever you can. Um, they don't necessarily have to, uh, you know, have to know like be in your field even. It just you know, but find find people that are that are motivated to dole out advice um, whenever you can, and you know, see how much of it you know applies to you, but. You know, keep an open keep an open mind and an open ear, because um, you know you can you you can get guidance from a lot of uh, a lot of unexpected places. Um, probably you know uh, probably yeah um, experiment. Um, you know because like there are a lot of facets in you know in software development nowadays. Like you know be it like like really under the hood things in backend systems um, or like, you know, um, pretty UIs and more like in the design realm. Um, you know, some people kind of more naturally know what they what they want to do. I wasn't really one of those people. I just kind of, I, I kind of needle my way between those things. But I, I think, you know, giving yourself a chance to try out a, yeah, a few different things and not shy away from stuff just because it doesn't seem like exactly what you want to do with uh, do with your time. That's probably um, important. Mm-hmm. Those probably be the big. Those would be the, uh, the the big ones I can I can think of. Okay. Um. Yeah. Where do you see yourself, like in the next five, maybe ten years? I know that's a, a long, a long ways out to think, but just sort of when you look at, at where you are now in your career path, where do you see yourself? <laughs> oh, if you'd asked me that five years ago, I wouldn't have had an answer. Um, <laughs> yeah, actually, actually, uh, I, I don't think I've ever had a good answer to this question. You know, people, you know, like if people start asking you this, what when you're like when you're eighteen. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, you know, I would say like uh, I, I, I always on the on the um, five year horizon. I guess I always put it as like there being like a forty percent chance I'll still be at Google. Yeah, who knows? You know, like if if I'll want to try something different or, or you know think that I you know to um, to uh, to try some different things out. I just need to make a clean break, or you know maybe I'll transfer within Google, um, or you know maybe I'll kind of double down on what I'm doing now and. Um, uh, you, you know, put that silly manager hat on, uh, and you know, uh, focus on you know mentoring people on my uh, people on a team or something like that. Um, so, like the, the, the short answer is like, you know, I can see a couple different things I'm going to try, and um, 
it, it might very well be that you know I have to kind of fiddle around between these different options and find out which one uh, works for me best. So, mm-hmm. um, and it's kind of a non-answer, but eh, yeah, I don't know. Would you still uh, be in, uh, well, in San Francisco? Oh, I guess I'll say this. Um, hopefully, within five years, I'll be able to uh, afford a, a house out here. Uh, cause, oh yeah, real estate is whew. <laughs> not cheap. San Francisco, yeah. New York, I tell you, not cheap. Yeah, we're turning into New York. That certainly feels that way. <laughs> now, where can our audience find you online? Uh, so, so let's see. My, uh, I'm on Google Plus. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. My handle is K A B U L Y K O S. Uh, that's a, an old in joke from high school. I'm happy to explain to someone if they really want to know. How do you um, pronounce that? Uh, I pronounce it Kabulikos. Um, okay. Gotcha. All right. Well, thank you so much for taking time out of your day uh, to speak to the Vision Path audience. Really appreciate it. I'm sure that uh, they'll have questions or they'll follow up with you or, or you know just sort of find out more about you and what you do. But thank you. I appreciate it. Happy to do it. Thanks a lot. All right. And that's it for this week. Thanks to Khalil Bay and thanks to you for listening. Make sure to check out our website and enter our giveaway and check out the deal for the Draw to Business ebook and the 900 DPI invites. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Twitter as well. Revision Path is a 318 media project. If you like what we're doing with these podcasts, you can help sponsor the show. Contact information will be in the show notes. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you next time.